This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello, hola, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now, today marks the first ever UN International Day of Education, and my first guest is someone who has garnered accolades worldwide for the way he has revolutionized education, taking the model that he started in his Bronx classroom to the rest of the world. America's favorite teacher, Stephen Ritz, is here to share his insights that have transformed entire communities internationally. Stephen's student and community family have grown. We want to say more than 65,000 pounds, but it's a lot more than that now. Vegetables in an effort to reclaim and rebuild one of America's most impoverished neighborhoods. And he tells us how he did it and what the rest of the world can learn from him. That is next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Today marks the very first United Nations International Day of Education in celebration of the role that education plays in peace and development. And global challenges like achieving gender equality and breaking the cycle of poverty can't be realized without quality education and lifelong opportunities being available for all. And today we see 262 million children and youth still not attending school, 617 million children and adolescents who can't read or do basic math and less than 40% of girls in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, completing lower secondary school and 4 million children and youth and refugees who are out of school. And UNESCO says that their right to education is being violated and that is unacceptable, which is why today marks the very first International Day of Education. Somebody who knows all too well the serious threats and challenges that kids face in some of America's poorest neighborhoods and has been able to transform the lives of not only his own students but the communities within which they live is the one and only Stephen Ritz. Good morning. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum and thank you so much for having me. What an honor to be here with you today on this very important day. Are you surprised? Isn't it amazing that this is the very first International Day of Education? Uh, when I read that, I was like, we've never had this before. Well, it's about time, right? Um, but it goes to show you, we ourselves need to educate ourselves around the importance of education. In some ways, we almost take it for granted. We do. And we really need to understand and get back to that very basic premise that education is the key to citizenship. It is the key to alleviating all of the problems in the world. Nelson Mandela said it best. Education is the key to building civilization. Exactly. It is what unlocks the doors. Somebody who knows uh, better than anyone, really, um, the kind of challenges that kids can go through, the threats. uh, You know, you have been teaching since 1984, which is incredible because it's it's like, you know, you're just bouncing off the walls with energy still right now, um, which I love so much. But... You know, tell me about going into the Bronx as a new teacher, what you saw, because you saw things that many of us can't even begin to imagine. 
Well, that's true. So thank you for that. And yes, I still have lots of energy You're because amazing. every day is an opportunity to get up there and make epic happen. And if you forget that, then I'm here to orient you, you <laughs> to the fact that every day is a precious opportunity. Every moment matters. And now more than ever, education is key. But I'm an accidental educator. I never, ever, ever expected to be a teacher. And whether it was walking into a classroom in the middle of the burnt out South Bronx by default in 1984, or visiting the mountains of Colombia, or the cities and streets of Cairo, or, you know, here across UAE. Teachers change lives, and every child responds to the opportunity to learn something, to be excited, to be engaged, and be involved. But what I have seen in my lifetime, um, I don't wish for others to have to see, mindful that, you know, when you cite the data that you have, we still have so much work to do. And I wake up every day going into any classroom saying every child is the sum of incalculable human potential. And the greatest resource in this world is the untapped potential residing in marginalized and underserved communities. So whether it's my community in the South Bronx or sub-Saharan Africa, or the mountains of Colombia, or the cities of Cairo, or, you know, the slums of India. There is a lot of work to do, but it all starts with teaching. You started in uh, the South Bronx, <clears throat> as we said, uh, very much of a poverty-stricken neighborhood, but you managed to turn it around. Uh, that seems like an impossible task. How well, I don't happen? deserve all the credit, so when you say you, it's not... The story is not about me. The story is about we. And I believe that teachers change lives, but they don't do it in a vacuum. They do it with students. They do it with parents. They do it with schools. They do it with civic leaders. They do it with nations. Mm. But you do it with children, one classroom at a time, one school at a time, one community at a time. And the reality is this. No child rises to low expectations. So when you walk in and set those expectations high, I'd rather fail at a high bar than succeed at a low bar. But I believe every child wants to learn. Every child can learn. And how we engage them and move them is really a reflection of who we are and a commitment to them and to a larger set of goals in society. Tell us about some of the students that you had, because you're still in touch with them today. Oh, yes. So I know you read my book. and Power uh, the, of a Plant. The, and I mean... Amazing. Who even knew, you know, the story of that is hilarious because one day some woman stopped me on the street and said, you should write a book. And I was like, okay, thank you very much. I'll take your card and run away now. And it was my wife who had the insight to say, well, Stephen, you know, go look at the card. And it turned out she was a best-selling publisher. <laughs> um, so she suggested I write a book. And what do you know, I did. And here we are, became a bestseller. But in that book, I kind of chronicle my story because I believe my story is indicative of so many other teachers, whether mm. you got there by with intent or default, wow, there you are with 30 kids looking at you and it is showtime. You know, we count down 30 seconds to on air. When you walk into that class and that door closes and that bell rings and you have 30 sets of eyes looking at you, you need to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a tremendous sense of responsibility. And I've always felt that sense of responsibility. And, I, and as many teachers as I meet, I believe that they, too, embrace that responsibility. So how do we empower them? How do we support them? How do we come up with structures, systems, and protocols that work for them, that allow us to change the world? Because teachers change lives, and they do every single day. They do. 
They do. I'm thinking uh, of uh, one person in particular, Vanessa. Oh, my. So, yeah, Tell this us was where a she young was girl. Vanessa. And where she is now. So, Vanessa it was just one of the students I met who really had a very different opinion of me then than she <laughs> does now. And a, a victim in a lot of ways. You know, so many of my students, be it nature or nurture, start way behind the eight ball for a variety of reasons. Poverty, sexism, um, substance abuse, dysfunctional families, yeah. all the issues that are still coming to the forefront today, all those numbers that you cited. So, you know, Vanessa had no idea why I would be there. You know, a tall, skinny white guy who looked like Peter Frampton, you know, coming back from trying to play professional basketball would wind up in the South Bronx, you know, except for a paycheck. But for me, it was never about the paycheck. Um, to this day, it's not about, I'm not about income. I'm far more about outcomes than income. And Vanessa had some challenges, as did many students in the South Bronx. There was substance abuse. There were family issues. But she believed in me, and I believed in her. Although we didn't have a good relationship at first, it was built on trust and respect. I think, you know, you have to expect and respect, and you get what you give, and you give what you get. And by showing up consistently um, and being that one kind, caring adult in children's lives, you can change lives. And today, you know, she runs a substance abuse center for the South Bronx, across the South Bronx. She manages a health care system. I'm so proud she of her. She manages a health care yeah. system now. Yeah, just, in the South Bronx. And you just spoke to her just yesterday. Literally, she called me up last night. She wanted. She was actually asking me for a reference, which is amazing. But, I mean, I've had children come to me through the foster care system, refugee systems through, from Africa who have come to the Bronx and are now managing Whole Foods. I talk about, you know, my student Najee, who called me last week, sent me a picture. He just got married and had a baby. So I think Incredible. at the end of the day, teachers change lives. And in a world that's data-driven, all the data points to this is that children who have access to one kind, caring adult will succeed in life. So my commandment to you is to get out there and be that kind, caring adult in a child's life. You've touched on so many things that we need to talk about, Stephen. Uh, we've got Stephen Ritz, multi-award winning teacher with us here, international teacher uh, with us here in the studio. If you've got questions for him, you want to reach out to him, let us know right now on uh, Life Beats. We're on Instagram Live. Uh, but as well, I want to come back to uh, Stephen, the whole idea of making that connection, uh, building those relationships how you do it but you know uh, Stephen is all about growing growing whether it's growing your kids or growing vegetables and plants uh, we're going to talk about why that's important you might be thinking what I'm you're not getting it uh, you have to hear uh, Stephen's story and why it all started with a box of onions we're going to talk about that next. <laughs> I know. I've got people even more confused now. <laughs> Let's right, a go. Box it's, of onions. it's live beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, we are back with uh, Stephen Ritz, the internationally acclaimed. Uh, teacher and author and mentor and so many different things. Gardner, uh, you are the eternal uh, optimistic officer. What are you again? I call myself the chief eternal optimist the of Bronx County. The chief eternal optimist CEO. of Bronx County. There you go. Um, so many different things that you do, but it all started sort of uh, with a box of onions or what you thought was a box of onions. You have to tell the story. Ah, uh, Yes. The infamous box of onions. So, you know, 
out of darkness can come some of the most incredible opportunities if you allow yourself to heal and are determined to go forward. So without getting too far off track, um, you know, in 2004, my wife and I suffered a series of tragedies. We lost some children. Mm -hmm. And that was devastating to both her and I. And I literally took a job closest to my physical home just so I could spend more time with my wife. Every moment mattered. You know, we talk about yeah. time, a thing I must earn. So every second then in that mourning process and healing process and recovery process was precious. And I certainly didn't want to spend it in traffic. So I looked at where we lived at our apartment building. And I said, I'm going to just go work closer to home. Need is need and education is education. I picked the closest school to my home and said, I'm going to go work there. Irrespective of what it was, with no idea. My goal was A, to keep a job, keep rent and food and shelter for my family and continue doing the work that I do while being supportive of my family. Lo and behold, I picked the most dysfunctional high school in all of New York City. To give you some context, that school had a 17% graduation rate. Imagine a school with a 17% graduation rate. It had 256 felonies committed in that building. It had 48 police officers assigned to this school just to manage children. And I had no idea. I just walked in and said, you know, I'm going to be a teacher here because it's close to home. This is going to work for me. And, you know, I'm, I care about children. I care about family. And they assigned me to teach a science class. And I was like, science? I have no science background. You know, what do I know about science? Um, so instantly, and to add insult to injury, a bulk of the children who I was assigned to teach were children coming out of the criminal justice system. Not the kind of kids who are interested in lab coats and, and, and goggles and in a school that had none of that to provide or resource strap school. So I was literally like, oh my God, what am I going to do with these children? I am clueless. I sent an email to everybody. No, dear friend, colleague, neighbor, supporter, friend, fan, or family. Help! I have been assigned to teach science to 17 children who have no interest with no resources. What should I do? Send me something. A microscope, a set of binoculars, a tablet, a laptop, something, a science kit. Um, it was my SOS emergency help save my life email. <laughs> and what and did look, you get? Well, three weeks later, I get a call. I'm sitting there teaching one day in class. And I get, Mr. Ritz, come to the principal's office. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm in trouble again. And I walk into the principal's office and there's the secretary. And she's like, Stephen, we got this box. And like a kid on Christmas, I am like, yes, thank you. I looked at this box and my prayers were answered. And like a kid on Christmas, I couldn't even wait to get to my classroom. I sat there, ripped open this box in front of the principal's secretary. She must have thought I was crazy. And I'm pulling open the box, ripping open the tape. And I look inside, and there are these onions. And I'm like, this is a cruel joke. And literally, you know, my joy went to despair. And like, I, I literally walked out of there carrying this box with my head between my legs, disappointed. Who could play this cruel joke on me? So I run back to class with this box and I take this box and I throw it behind this old radiator behind the window. And I forgot about it. Literally like, oh, I got to hide this. This is bad. This is a bad joke. This is bad news. And I literally forgot about it and continued doing experiments with children around bread molds, things that I could do on a day-to-day -day basis. So anything that I could pull off the internet and try and engage these children with that was low cost, scalable, um, and easy to do, but allowed for children to make their thinking visible mm. was important to me. You know, kind of like the mystery, you know, like tapping into that inner child, if you will. And then one day, 
and realize a lot of these kids were difficult kids. A lot of them had children of their own. Many of them had come from um, difficult families, some of them back from the criminal justice system, some of them with substance abuse issues. So they were a tough group in and amongst themselves, a lot of them on probation. So they were captive to a system that they didn't want to be a part of anyway, but kind of were mandated there. So they were kind of hostages as well. And one day things really went wrong. You know, the kids picked at each other. They didn't like each other. There were some gang kids in the class. And this boy, this skinny little boy, starts making fun of this girl, Carol. And Carol was tough. Whoa. I mean, Carol is just a big, tough girl. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going bad south. And he just kept going and going. And then Carol gets up. And instantly, she starts running across the room. And I'm like, no! In slow motion, I see my career <laughs> ending. You know, she is going to eat this child for breakfast. <laughs> She's just going to kill Gonzalo. And Gonzalo is this skinny little kid making fun of her, pointing her fingers. And then Gonzalo realizes, OMG, I'm in trouble. Here comes Carol. And he's looking around. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is gonna, he's going to take something and hit her. He goes reaching under the radiator. And in that moment, my heart skips a beat because I think he's grabbing a weapon. He's going to come up with a pipe or a, a stick or something dangerous. And somehow he sticks his hand up in the radiator and comes out with a handful of flowers and starts waving <laughs> these flowers in Carol's face. And the whole class stops, looks, and starts laughing. Carol is stunned. Here's this skinny little She's boy like, holding what? flowers up, waving them at this girl. Um, she stops dead in her tracks. The whole class laughs. And that's what we call in the South Bronx a teachable moment. And I didn't even know what these flowers were or where they came from. Well, it turns out these box of onions, if you will, were literally a box of flower bulbs, daffodil bulbs that were sent to me as a gift to have these gang members get out and plant all these bulbs across New York City. So we go back, we look at the box, we read the instruction, we're like, wow, these are flowers, these are bulbs, these are things that you can do. And we had no idea and it was really cool. And it turns out the heat from the radiator and was moisture, um, the heat forced the bulbs, the sun gave them sunlight, and unbeknownst to me, we had hundreds of flowers growing behind the radiator. So the boys wanted to give them to the girls, the girls wanted to sell them and bring them home to their moms, and I realized right then and there, wow, we could do something amazing. And we figured we should open up the box and read the instructions and see we had been invited to do all this. There was really an invitation, I had no idea. You know, me and my short-sightedness and frustration totally forgot about what this opportunity was because every day brings opportunity, so long as you open your eyes to it and embrace it. And we started reading, and it turns out that year, my students and I planted like 15,000 bulbs across New York City to commemorate 9-11. The very students who had come out of the criminal justice system wound up winning awards for their civic, uh, you know, civic-mindedness and for citizenship. In fact, we all got invited to City Hall, and when I brought the children down, everyone thought they were the gifted and talented program, you know, not knowing <laughs> that these were kids who were the bane of their existence. But, you know, it goes to show you that children can clean up well, just like communities and neighborhoods, if given the opportunity. And therein um, was the beginning of something I never, ever ever imagined in 2004. The most important thing to realize is of those 17 children who came out of the criminal justice system, well, what do we know about children between the ages of 17 and 21 who come out? They usually go back in. All of those 17 students graduated high school. 
And to this day, they have remained gainfully employed and have not been reincarcerated or had issues. And I stay in touch with the bulk of them. Many of them are homeowners, taxpayers, children who are doing incredible things. And we went on to start something far greater. You did. It's unbelievable. This has all grown uh, literally. (laughs) Organically. (laughs) Organically. You've gone on to use this. Uh, Like you said, it was a teachable moment. And now growing things. Uh, has just really taken over the planet. You started doing this back in 2004. It is now what is being talked about the most. When we talk about education, people talk about technology, but on on the other side there, they're talking about connection. They're talking about getting out into nature again, building, growing things. So we're going to talk more to Stephen next about how he does that and how he's taking his model the world over, including here in the UAE, and helping communities to grow, literally and figuratively. That's next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse95. 95. Oh my gosh, the conversation is uh, just ongoing here with the one and only Stephen Ritz, uh, the internationally acclaimed teacher and author um, who has transformed lives and schools across the world. Um, Stephen, you were telling the story about the box of daffodil bulbs that uh, <laughs> uh, that you received and how that changed the whole mindset of uh, you know some of the most at-risk kids that you had uh, within your classroom, within your school. Um, and tell us about how that then changed what you were doing as a teacher and what you discovered was in fact as you say the power of a plant well the power of a plant is incredible because plants come from seeds and seeds represent genetic potential and all my children represent unlimited god-given genetic potential and it's my job to help them express that genetic potential in a positive way no matter how much they're acting up and, right no and matter how much they're acting and in up. fact they need more right. attention right when you put a seed in the ground and the seed doesn't grow you don't blame the seed you blame the environment so why is it when we put a child in a school and a child doesn't thrive we blame the child instead of the school exactly so you know seeds need fertile settings to germinate and to grow um you know like i always say they need love they need water they need time they need to extend their head towards the sun and breathe deeply Mm -hmm. so for me treating children like seeds is a huge metaphor but the beauty of plant learning at least for me is that for the most part plants really are going to grow they're designed you know biology is designed to succeed so you know you put a plant in the ground it's gonna it's gonna sprout it's gonna germinate and then you can show up and you can cultivate it and harvest it and get a crop of epic proportions and that is beautiful because for children and traditionally my children who are part from success planting seeds ensures that they are going to have some form of success and at the time and place in the Bronx where I was working with those children, we had a lot of abandoned lots, ugly places. And you could take these children who many people loathed and despised and feared and bring them in for a day and have them clean up a lot. So instantly they were adding value to a community. We took a lot of dark, you know, negative spaces and turned them into productive, aspirational places that were good for communities. So these children who many people thought were part of the problem now became part of the solution. And the beauty of planting is that everything has a season. And in this world of instant gratification and what's next and what's next channel and the next application and the next game and the next upload and the next download, plants take time. 
and time is a thing I must earn. And in that time, you can build this amazing thing with children, relationships. Um, you can teach them to read. You can teach them to write. You can teach them to, you know, aspire to things they've never imagined. Time is vital for any kind of a skill that is worth learning. Right. And it's that's what it teaches anybody who tries to plant anything, really, that you realize out of that time and the effort and the care and the connection that you make with nature. Listen, my favorite thing to grow is watermelon. I still marvel. The little boy in me marvels that I put that seed in the ground and then I get this big, fat, sweet, tasty thing and that the water goes through the stem and fills up that watermelon. You know, that when you put a seed in the ground and four or five, six weeks later, you have, I marvel at biology. Right. And so do the children. And it's a beautiful thing. But most importantly, in an era where people are allergic to every kind of food thing in the world, no child is allergic to money. So growing food is a license to print money. And in communities where there's limited needs and limited access to healthy, fresh food, the ability to grow food and feed people, or more importantly, sell it for many of my students to people who are affluent for top dollar is a whole new economy. And that's game changing. And of many of my accomplishments, the one thing that I'm most proud of is partnering towards 2,200 living wage jobs in a community that once had double digit unemployment. Because 2,200 living wage jobs. That's because incredible. food represents opportunity. And now more than ever, whole food, slow food, good food, gourmet food, local food. You know, we are growing top quality food. I gave birth to the first edible classroom in America and all those things that I started doing out of doors with children that were then limited by seasonality. I realized that I could do indoors with 21st century technology. And we have given, you know, I like to say the Bronx is proving that we can. Because that's how that's how you scaled it. You were able right. to bring it all indoors uh, and take it all across the world, including here in the UAE. Oh, I'm we so excited about the, the projects that I'm doing here in UAE. Wow. Just watch what we're going to do. You're going to yeah. be amazed. Yeah. It's I like to say from the food desert to the Middle East desert, you know, from, <laughs> we are growing something greater. You know, from the land of strawberry shortcake to unbelievable quantities of sand, you know, one S or twos, the new desert, we're redefining what we can grow Because well, how we do it. Well-being is, is the big thing right now that they're talking about in education. You were doing it before it was cool, before it was trendy, before it was one of those, um, you know, It was KPIs. survival for me. For me, it was nothing more than survival. I found a hook and I ran with it. Yeah. But now, listen, here I am with a copy of the International Educator and right on the front page, well-being ranks high among international school staff and students. Mm. No one says. And I've been to so many school openings and so many school, you know, showings. And people talk about PISA scores. They talk about the labs. But no one says, oh, health and wellness, I don't want my child to be healthy. Mm. Everyone wants their child to be healthy. When you look at the obesity crisis, you look at the health care crisis, you look at diabetes, you look at the water crisis, the food scares, you know, the food insecurity issues around the world for a variety of reasons. Health, wellness, nutrition, and mindfulness are at the core of what we are. And when you think about KHDA, what do they really want? Happy, healthy children. Mm -hmm. You know, you can outsource your work. Dr. Abdullah once told me you can outsource your work, but you can't outsource your happiness. That's true. You lost a, a whole lot of weight um, through this process as well. And so all of the, the students became so much healthier as well. And that that went a long way to... Well, changing yeah, how they see, I never knew that plants were food. So my work started with ornamental plants, um, you know, green roofs, green walls, flowers. But when I learned that plants 
were actually a source of food. I had no idea. But as I was working with the children doing these incredibly big gardening jobs, green roofs and green walls and building parks, I got hungry. Yeah. Really hungry. <laughs> and sadly, what's in my community? The clown, the king, the colonel, the chicken, you know, the all the, you know, all that fast food available. is everywhere. Yeah. And as my appetite grew, so did my waistline because I was eating cheap food and cheap food is so expensive. Mm. And it's most expensive on the human body. So I gained, I was at one point over 300 pounds and I realized I was eating and drinking myself to death simply by the food that was being marketed to me in the community. And in between every McDonald's was a diabetes center and a dialysis center. So I was like, wow, there's a huge disconnect. And then one day by happen chance, my students and I were invited to Whole Foods. We walked in and saw a beautiful store with incredible fragrances, with varieties of fresh produce. It right? was amazing. It's, and it's we saw people the, buying it. The fragrance and the taste. It you... was unreal. And it wasn't bulletproof. You know, it was it was seductive. It was something that you hadn't experienced before. Never in my life. And, you know, the the great thing is, which is what I want to talk to you about next, uh, Stephen, is all about how we take that uh, because... Um, we were talking about this uh, just yesterday, malnourishment. Um, you know, it doesn't just mean not eating enough, but also it can mean overeating of all of the wrong things. Or nutritionally bankrupt food. Mm. I like to say kids on a day-to-day -day basis eat calorie-rich and processed food. You walk into your average fast food convenience store, it is a mess. Manufactured edible synthetic substances that come in bags that are not good for children or the environment. We need to change that. Yes. And we can. Yes, and we can. We're going to talk about uh, the, the lessons that we can learn from Stephen uh, and the work that he is doing here in the UAE. Lots more to come on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. All right, we are talking uh, transforming education, and somebody who's definitely done that is Stephen Ritz, uh, a multi award winning teacher who um, has scaled his growing classroom to the US. How many schools in the US? 600? Well, we are literally in hundreds and hundreds of classrooms, but now the nation's largest healthcare company is realizing that this is the best form of preventative medicine aligned to education. And they're bringing us to 22 cities across 19 states in the next 12 months. And that's in year one. Plus, we have the good food machine in Canada. So we are really growing something greater all wow. around the world. This is incredible, uh, as well as here in the UAE. Right. Um, so uh, as we were talking about growing things is it doesn't sound that exciting but it can actually transform kids it can transform the world everybody should be growing something uh, well we are growing something we're growing something greater and yeah. i like to say that we're growing citizens we're growing engagement we're growing awareness we're growing healing we're growing food but we're growing people and that's when, what this movement when, is all when about. i said it's not that exciting you just kind of gave me this look like oh it's so exciting it, it should be most illegal it's probably the most exciting thing that you can do is seeing communities that were yeah. surviving now become thriving when you look at the oases that are emerging here across the UAE, whether it's controlled environment agriculture, whether it is the sustainable city, whether it is the Center for Biosaving Research, I keep, I mean, literally, you know, you and I were talking at break, all the new farms that are popping up, all the healthy, fresh food that is available mm. that is using 90% less water. 
and also much more nutritious. That's going to be game-changing. And, of course, it's the little guys. I was sending you pictures. When you teach them about healthy food at a young age, they love it. They, they get, get so on a trajectory excited. of good health that's going to ensure that they will outlive their parents because of what they're eating, not because of what they're doing. It, they kind of they take it back, you know, to, to their families and they inspire everybody else. Right. To you know, be a different. high school kid comes home and says, Mommy, I want fresh fruit and vegetables. You know, that, that parent turns around and says, That's great, go get a job. But when little Johnny or little Sally or little Stephen come home in the kindergarten and say, Mommy, I want a salad, you're gonna that's gonna change everything. You know <laughs> Imagine your kids coming home and saying, I want a salad. Yeah, can we have but, a smoothie instead of McDonald's? A happy meal should be a healthy meal. There you go. There you go. Very, very true. And just kind of to finish up, Stephen, um, in terms of what you're seeing as the biggest challenges right now that we can fix, that we can do something about uh, in education right now. Well, first and foremost, input equals output. So when we realize that what we put in children's bodies affects their minds, affects their bodies, and affects their health outcomes, literally we can change that overnight. So I'm urging parents to be responsible. I'm urging schools to be responsible. Get the junk out of schools. Get the water in. You know, make health and wellness a priority. To think that there are more people eating themselves to death than are starving in the world today, and that is two sides of a very ugly coin that could be fixed tomorrow mm. because the world is still producing way more food than it ever needs, we can change all that. And that is about empathy. That's about compassion. And I believe that empathy, compassion, and global-minded citizenship can change everything. Everything is connected. Right. We are all part of a living, breathing ecosystem, and, 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 and that's what all, this is all about. We can all learn from each other. And um, I, I think a lot of people watch you and they see what you've started. They see what you've created, and it's huge. It's incredible. But some might look at it and say, um, you know, what do teachers need? Some teachers might look at it and say, well, that looks too difficult. That looks too hard. What do you mean, you know, scaling all of that and having farms everywhere and whatever? What would so, you say to them? I say, for me, it may sound very grandiose, but it starts with one child at a time, one classroom at a time, and one school at a time. I'm so proud of the book that I wrote because it really highlights some of the issues and things that teachers can do. I'm so proud of my new children's series because literally it's designed to have children make it happen. Everybody knows a child that loves to put their hand in the dirt, the sand, the soil. So if you capitalize on that with small, scalable projects in classrooms, you're going to grow something greater. But what you're really going to grow is engagement, awareness, and understanding, and a respect for nature and nurture. And realize this. When we teach children about nature, we teach them to nurture. And when we teach children to nurture, we as a society collectively embrace our better nature. And that's what this movement is all about. You it's are about so the pillars right. of happiness. Um, you've done so much, but one of the my favorite things that uh, you've done just recently, you're about to do the ribbon cutting for this. Um, is the first wheelchair accessible farm. Tell us yes, about that. Yes, well, I was really, last year I was blessed to participate in the Emirates Literature Festival and I actually got to visit a uh, center for special needs. Mm. And when I realized how much these children like planting and how much they appreciate the watering, the nature, the nurture, the seeding, the watching it grow, the talking to plants, the seeing the leaves bloom and blossom, and then at the end getting to eat it and do it all over again. 
I realized that there was a vast population of children in New York City um, in wheelchairs and special needs schools. And I set forth to create the first indoor wheelchair accessible farm. So we have a year round wheelchair accessible farm scaling all the technology that we do to wheelchair size, wheelchair accessibility. Instead of bicycle power blenders, we have hand cranks. So all these children can experience all that there is to understand about growing. And it has just been game-changing, the self-esteem, the pride that these children feel. So on February 13th with the New York City Department of Education, we will be cutting the ribbon at uh, Public School 721 in partnership with some really large corporate sponsors who understand that happy children and healthy children are better for all of us. It all starts with a seed. And it all starts with a seed, that a seed well-planted can give you a crop of epic proportion. (laughs) I just, you know, always a pleasure to have you, Stephen, here with us at Pulse95, and we're excited to see what's to come. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you so much. Amazing, as always. This is Pulse95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.